you know, there were two moments when, you know, we took ourselves off payroll early on because, you know, we weren't sure there was cash. And, but we felt the mission was there. Our story would resonate over time. And more importantly, the people we were, you know, purporting to help were seeing it. They were getting funding or getting grants. So, like, the customer was being successful. So we all collectively felt like we deserved a chance to, to go another year. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. It's what you've all been waiting for. Today, Sam interviews surfer, snowboarder, self-proclaimed recovering entrepreneur, VSET president, and Start Here co-host, Dave Bradbury. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber. And Dave Bradbury. Recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. I know a lot about Dave, but maybe our our listeners don't. So this is a this is a fun opportunity. Well, let's try it. It's spring. Let's go for it. All right. So tell us about young Dave. Where are you from, and when did you start standing sideways? Great question. Um, I grew up in Littleton, Massachusetts, about thirty five miles outside of Boston. I'm a mass hole through and through. I, I think the Boston Bruins are the only team in the NHL that matters, and Tom Brady's the goat. I started standing sideways um, as a young child. Um, I spent forty one dollars to buy my first skateboard in Acton Mass at the skate shop. It was a Sims wood kick twenty six inch with was it kryptonite or kryptonic wheels? Yeah, really. It's probably when it, when it happened. I love it. Early age. It was a ton of money. I worked really hard to get it and, yeah. and, uh, and buy it, and I still have it to this day in my garage. <laughs> in your garage. I love it. Yeah, sorry about Such that. Such an asshole. I love <laughs> it. Um, all right, we're going to do a little rapid fire get to know you. Oh, cool. Yeah, all right. kind of fun. All right, what was your first job? Uh, farmer yacht bailing hay for buck fifty an hour. To get the, the skateboard, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. It took a lot of hours to get the skateboard. I bet. Dogs or cats? Oh my gosh, dogs. Labradors, to be specific. Only answer I would have expected. Yeah, I don't believe in anything with a poodle. <laughs> or a doodle. <laughs> Best concert you've ever been to? It was the Clash at the Worcester Centrum um, during high school. It was it was absolutely formative in my life. And, and being on the stage, because they encouraged people to come up, um, was something I'll never forget. I fought the law and the law won, baby. (laughs) All right, Dave, you are a proud UVM alum. You know, you mentioned that you're a mass hole. What made you choose to be a catamount? What drew drew you to Vermont? Um, It was really a place. I'd never been by exit one on the highway on I-89. My family had a a ski house sort of condo place in Queechy. So you were a southern Vermont guy. Well, just barely over in New Hampshire. It just is where we deposited. And uh, it was a March day, and... We did, my mom and I decided to drive to Burlington after a foot of snow and cresting that hill, looking out toward the lake. And I said, dear God, this is a place I want to go to school. Do they have colleges here? <laughs> and UVM, you know, became a, a choice. And yeah, that's, that's how I ended up there. Kind of, kind of on a whim. Awesome. And no regrets, apparently. No, I love the place. I mean, I think you can, uh, throughout your career in life, you can do just about anything. And I wasn't sure what anything would be over time, but I knew pretty much where anywhere was. I love it. And what did you study? And does it matter for for some of our listeners that might be in college now? Yeah, I went to the business school. I was sort of, you know, grew up 
watching my mom and dad just sort of do their projects and, and jobs, and I wanted to learn business. And I, I thought pretty much I was going to go to Wall Street and trade uh, derivatives, mortgage-backed securities kind of thing. What was the best class you took at UVM? Forestry. Forestry? Yeah, freaking awesome. I took a little cross team at night, and it was once a week, and it was just a chance. Nothing I was ever interested in, but it was really a neat way to uh, – I don't know, just learn about nature and, and sort of management and land and, and all that stuff. So good. Um, and then I, I like to picture a young Dave Bradbury exploring Burlington for the first time. What was your go-to spot back in the day? Um, boy, tough to say. It was, <laughs> it's like I never left the spot, so it was out there a lot. Um, I think the Last Chance Saloon is the one I have the most fondness for. It's, it's, was in the basement of what's now the Flynn Theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a really cool, um, nasty little college bar that was a lot of fun and had a lot of good, good, good memories there. And funny, you know, jump ahead a couple decades later when I was on the Flynn board and, you know, they wanted to remodel downstairs. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I don't do it. So I lost. Thank God they put it into more productive use. It was probably for the best. Um, so you describe yourself as a recovering entrepreneur. What was your first business? I, I think early on, um, mowing lawns, you know, buying a lawnmower, borrowing a truck, um, and then painting and landscaping throughout college. I, I really took a, a liking uh, to stonemasonry, sort of stone walls, uh, patios, things like that. And I, I still often wonder I just should have stuck with that. That was pretty neat. That would have been interesting. There's, there is a demand for it. Oh, there, there is, is a but a couple of my really good friends have stuck with it, and their, their bodies are a bit more aged than I think mine at this point. So they don't I'm have probably the, doing what I was meant to do. They don't have the computer hands that you have. Uh, no, there's there's are more mangled and a little bit uh, aged, but um, anyway, they love it and are happy. So, so great. I, I think that's a really... I don't know. I feel like a lot of the entrepreneurs we talked to had had some sort of you know a side hustle in college to bring in some money, and that's that's a good way to do it. Well, and I also I also wanted a backup career, right? I there mean, if go. I thought I was going to go into finance, I mean that's sort of fickle, right? It works or it doesn't. Um, big stakes, big big ups, big downs, and again, uh, if you ever wanted to control, delete your life, or move to a different part, like would you have a skill that you could earn through your, you know, your, your labor, your smarts, your, your sort of creativity? And I felt stonemasonry and, and some, of the, some of the other things like that um, were pretty neat. All right. So the internet goes down. We know what, what Dave will be doing. Exactly. Call me. I'll, I'll bid out a stone. I might get in the stonewall business again, seeing how much people are charging. So. I'd hire you. Totally. 100%. Um, so... Oh, I feel like we ask our entrepreneurs this question, so it's only fair that I ask you as well. Um, from an entrepreneurial perspective, any massive failures you're willing to admit? Oh, yeah, a ton. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think um, importing uh, water coolers from Italy that made this really high-quality Perrier, 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 Perrier like think, yeah. bubble, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, but the damn things wouldn't ship well and would break. And it was, we thought we were buying the Ferrari, but we ended up with the Fiat. Um, so that was, that was a good learning lesson. I think that one failed. And then another one just didn't take off really interesting uh, around outdoor wood boilers. Those, those, you know, furnaces with the dirty pipes and mm. 
I partnered up with a, a really sweetheart of a guy who was the inventor and patent holder for the cleanest systems in the world, and we tried getting it off the ground, and that was a little too early, but mm. you know, a couple, a couple we tried. It's all, it's all about timing. Um, so switching gears a little bit, you have invested in dozens of companies. Um, what do you look for? And any like major red flags that you stay away from? Um, yeah, I mean, I've done, you know, personal investments all along as, as an angel. And then, you know, for the last 15 or so years, really concentrated on, on sort of the VSET and the seed fund realm. But you know, at the early stage, um, you don't really expect any team to have it fully sorted out, right? What you want to do is find folks that um, have magic in their eyes. They're they're true in their their hearts. So they're aligned with maybe a partner that they have, and um, they're undeniable in and what they're trying to build and do. Because that sort of grit and perseverance will make up for all the lonely times, the uncertain times, and and the struggle. So I think that's really uh, it's it's. Truly, and you know, I'd say it's eighty percent a bet on people, one percent a bet on patent if they have one, and you know, the other, that nineteen percent is really around market timing, right? Mm-hmm. Is the world ready for what you have? Can you build it at a reasonable uh, return? And uh, how do you get it into his or her hands? Mm-hmm. And what, in terms of red flags, is there anything that you see that immediately you're kind of like, oh? Um, I think people that talk really fast, you know, and some are nervous. So you got to, you know, check your bias. But there's usually a, an over, an over promise, a, a sort of hyperventilation of business vomit that that comes through. And I, and I think that's really tough to get a sense of the person because even for those that that do do that, there's usually a lot of a lot of real and genuine and and perhaps brilliance uh, in there. But you know, you sometimes have to filter through that. So I think, you know, a few dates, a few instances of contact, it might be an event, it might be in a little, you know, social post that we're commenting on back and forth in a, in a couple, couple in-person uh, meetings. So that, that would be one red flag. And then the other, particularly if you track folks over time, would be um, was the team able to accomplish to some credible percentage what they said they were going to do? Mm. Right, we're gonna build this prototype by May. Mm-hmm. Great. So now June, how'd the prototype go? Well, we didn't get it done. It was, you know, okay. Well, why? And sometimes there's good reasons. Sometimes there's really poor reasons. And you know, I think again that gets to the fundamental bet of using other people's money is really a bet on you to figure it out. And can you figure it out through these certain interim milestones? And you don't have to be grand or or moonshots, but more of operationally. Um, can we make incremental pro- progress toward the vision we're pursuing with the limited people, cash, partners, whatever resources we have? And mm-hmm. if they're able to do that, then those are people you want to bet on. That's such good advice. And from the entrepreneurial perspective, do you have any advice for folks that are out there fundraising? I mean, it's a real slog. It's really hard to do. Um, any advice? I know you said, like, you know, it's important for them to follow through. How can you show investors um, that you are, in fact, following through with what you said you would do. Yeah, I mean, I think specifically a follow-through, like, you know, the next to last slide should always be, hey, here's what, here's our milestones. And you've got eight bullet points, and four of them are got check boxes, and then one of them's yellow because you're working on it, and then here are the next three that I'm going to do uh, with your money. 
Mm. Right. So again, it just leaves the illusion of momentum, accountability, transparency, like all things that people love to back and invest in rather than some, you know, black mystical bullshit box yeah. that, that, you know, you, you could get to. So I think, you know, for me that, that, that resonates, um, I probably have other things. I already forgot what the question was, but. Oh, you did answer it. So you're good. I am drawn to ask you what, if you recall the favorite pitch you ever received, ever were on the receiving end of your favorite pitch. Yeah. Chad Brodsky, a UVM student uh, who was working at, uh, uh, I don't know, a bank or something downtown. Yeah. He walked in one day and says, I'm here to solve loneliness and here's how I'm going to do it. It's like, boom, right? It yeah. was sort of like... A, the purpose. It was like, a, hey, uh, who's up for a movie? Or who's up for a game of Frisbee? Like, how do I find a friend in the moment or find somebody that maybe I don't know or don't know too well and do it just to solve that 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 loneliness that everyone feels at times about doing things? Yeah, it was, it was freaking awesome. I want to solve loneliness. Here's how I'm going to do it. And then uh, another one was uh, Lynn o- Olignaro with... Um, uh, bioflag therapeutics. Um, she she came in one day and said, uh, um, "Chemotherapy is a killer. Here's how we're going to not use it again." And I was like, "Fuck! <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but I am like, I want to learn. I'm hooked, right? If you think about it, right? Yeah. Those two sparked curiosity in me right. immediately. They they must have hit some sort of emotional." you know, strand that, that I could identify with, mm-hmm. um, who hasn't been lonely or who doesn't know someone in the chemotherapy. Like, and so, so those things are great hooks. Yeah. Right. And then, then I was investing my time and, and sort of my, my sort of, uh, belief that I want to hear their full story. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah, really cool. Well, you did a really good job answering that considering it, I couldn't have asked it in a more awkward way. So I appreciate that. I don't have my um, co-host here, so it's, it's pretty weird. It's tough without a wingman, yeah. Right? It's, well, it's lonely over here on the other side of the table. <laughs> You're doing fine, Sam. You're doing fine. Thank you so much. Um, so you came into Visa in 2007. Yep. Friggin' 15 years ago, Dave. Just about 15 years ago. I, I can't fathom that. Yeah. Seriously, it's been awesome. Um, what, tell folks, what did the organization look like in 2007 and how has it sort of evolved since? Sure. Uh, VSET started, the Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, uh, started as an idea on Dr. John Evans's uh, kitchen table on Spear Street. He was then the dean of the medical school and at the time they wanted a university incubator. Doors opened at UVM in June 2005 um, and really was set up as sort of a classic, let's work with docs and students to commercialize stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple of years into it, um, they had a golf, they very, you know, good start. They were ready to go, but I think they felt like they, they wanted to, um, make a change and bring someone in a little bit more entrepreneurial. And also there was, it wasn't really connecting to the degree that, uh, we, they wanted to see the board wanted to see here in Burlington. Um, and the world was changing a little bit, right? Yeah. Right around then, we started hearing about economic development, overlaying with higher education, overlaying with this thing called entrepreneurship. And those three circles started to overlap. And right around that time, those were things I was thinking about personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, just sort of a couple phone calls later and said, what the heck, might as well. You know, Senator Leahy called and 
So David, uh, we started this thing, get back to work, stop snowboarding, put your wife on the phone. <laughs> and that was it. And they talked about spring peepers this time of year, right? And nice. kids. And and then afterwards, uh, she hung up, Emily did. And she said, what was that about? I said, I don't know, but I think I have a job. <laughs> so anyway, and we just dove right in with Frank Coffey and Fred Hackett, who was the original chair, and, and so many other board members that uh, many of which are still involved today, Sam, at yeah. that said, you know what, we're going to put in the time, the grit, the perseverance, make tough calls along the way in order to, to build something that, you know, rather than do it for our donors or our institutions, let's do it for the customer. Let's find the entrepreneur, make her the North Star and build it around what she needs in that moment over time. And let's be nimble enough so as times change, right, yeah. we can do things like co-working or venture capital or female founder series. And, and I think that's been the pure joy. That's why... Uh, 15 years has flown by because it seems like it's very different, yeah. you know, every three or four years. And you've been here six years now uh, and have seen it and are very much a part of that, which I'm grateful for. Yeah, it it does. And I think that's, you know, I think you've mentioned before that VSET operates itself very much like a startup, which I think helps us, you know, as you would say, look around corners, right? Um, and I think you did mention as well that sort of stability too. Can you talk a little bit about VSET's business model and how we're able to do what we do? Yeah, it's it's uh, changed quite a bit, right? When I came in in June 2007, we were 99% funded by um, earmarks from U.S. Senator Patrick Leahy. And yeah, which is amazing, which is a tough way to live, but you know, that was our seed money. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yeah. over time, we transitioned that into earned income from establishing a venture fund into owning properties, uh, a fantastic 10-year partnership with Middlebury College that we've now extended another five years with a building and, and now into more operating programs. The state of Vermont stepped in when we had a, a real lonely time. Um, you know, there were two moments when, you know, we took ourselves off payroll early on because... You know, we weren't sure there was cash, yeah. And but we felt the mission was there. Our story would resonate over time, and more importantly, the people we were, you know, purporting to help were seeing it. They were getting funding or getting grants. So, like, the customer was being successful. So we all collectively felt like we deserved a chance to to go another year, right? Not just self perpetuate, but really. Uh, activate resources in our community and and advance the, the sort of collective grid through entrepreneurship. So cool. Oh, man, what a cool place to work. Yeah, right? <laughs> and we get T-shirts, too, along the way. That was even better. So um, so you're not big on strategic planning, as I learned, I believe, uh, day one at VSET. God, Can damn you. you. <laughs> talk yeah. to us a little bit about what your approach is. I mean, you do talk about looking around corners. How do you do that? And how do you sort of um, plan what's next for the organization? Yeah, I mean, strategic planning, um, I used to do this for folks consulting, and it can be really important. But those are for, I, I would say, less nimble, you know, larger entities with hundreds of employees to sort of motivate and align. Um I prefer organizations our size to really – are you throwing up? You, yeah, okay. You okay? <laughs> okay. Um, I prefer organizations our size really have this rolling three-year kind of perspective because I do think um, you can predict and hit the target really well based upon market insights, uh, peers that you go visit. Like, 
I mean, you and I walk in co-working centers and innovation centers all over the freaking world Mm -hmm. and country. And I I think one, that's really a great reflection of our, our whole team that, you know, does that. And, and we learn and, and how do we version something to Vermont or, or, or not do something because we've talked with a peer elsewhere. So, you know, I think in terms of that, that three-year look, it's, it's uh, first movers usually don't succeed and they're usually crushed by market forces, right? We see that with startups that go to market too soon, right? Yep. Um, the customer just isn't ready or the world's not ready or it's too hokey or gimmicky. So I think being a, a fast follower, uh, an astute learner, and then, and then committed as a, as a team to say, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look back to 2008 or nine when the seed fund was discussed. Um, no one wanted to do that. I like even in our own organization, like, no, we don't want to do that. It's not our lane. Ah. What makes you think we can do that? Or, and, but we said, no, we have data. You know, it was a list of 110 companies looking for capital. There was, uh, research on models that had worked, hadn't worked elsewhere around the country that could be provided so that we would do things like not have a 15-person UN-style decision-making process for investments. We have a three-person investment committee, right, right that is accountable and nimble and, and committed to the long term. So, you know, little tricks like that or going to, to Ireland to look at their university incubator system, which at the time was was top in the world, and say, what what tricks do you have? They're like, oh, yeah. Um, glass doors and don't allow anybody to put paper over it. We need to see. Or if you have trouble getting people together, only have your coffee bar open for one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon because then everybody comes out of their cubbies and talks. So we, we haven't gotten that draconian around coffee, right? I think there'd be a, a yeah, revolt. I'd be scared. I'd be scared. But things like that, yeah. uh, I think time through our service to, to judging you know, competitions at Mass Challenge or being a mentor at, at different programs around New England in particular is is quite relevant or or through some of my volunteer work um, elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, actually, do you want to talk a little bit about your volunteer work? I know you've, um, you've volunteered in Tunisia before, I believe. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Tunisia came about, it was 2014. It's hard to believe so long. It was right after... Uh, probably nine months after the Jasmine Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, the Arab Spring, and it was a, a chance through this really neat organization called the Financial Services Volunteer Corps, which had been started cool. by a former Secretary of State and a former chair of Goldman Sachs. And they got professionals and went into developing or recently liberated countries to help them set up systems, whether stock markets, credit markets. And I specifically went in uh, to work on... Uh, uh, seed funding and sort of university-based startups uh, in Tunisia, and that was a really, really awesome experience. Uh, yeah, because once you you know triage, you need opportunities, right? And you don't really think that far ahead. Yeah, totally right. And you know, I learned as much as anything, right? Yeah. You know, their their corporate law is based upon really kind of French corporate law, which is so ass backwards. Like the entrepreneur in our country and our system, they get a hundred percent of ownership up front, right? Yeah. And then I give you money and you give me a little bit. Yeah. But to incorporate there, uh, you had to demonstrate the value of your company on day one, which Oof. is worth nothing. Oof. So it was just really weird. Yeah. So it was a good perspective uh, for me to understand, but really, you know, I think at the time that in Tunisia, they, they had something like 20,000, you know, college graduates a year was free high, free college 
and and so many of them were engineers and they were trying to sort of start up businesses. So it really was a a moment in time around the Arab Spring for me to to go and and share some of our Vermont state public policy venture stuff um, to these uh, really brave and and committed individuals uh, in, in Tunisia. You know, as Steve Blank taught us, you got to get out of the building, right? You got to get out of the building to see what it's see what it's like. And and you know, the other volunteer project that I've done for a bunch of years is working with um, U.S. Special Forces um, personnel, um, usually a few years before they're transitioning out of active duty. To you know, for those that are interested in starting a business, mm-hmm. uh, really work with them privately. Um, they go they go off the grid for months at a time, yeah. right? To do to do good in the world and. But I, I think um, that that was such a, an awesome, wonderful chance to, to give back with corporate leaders from around the country to a handful of folks that quite literally, you know, are the tip of the spear in what they do. But um, they have uh, intelligence and degrees, and entrepreneurial grit to add a little bit of shape to that so that they might do something other than, you know, a predictable standard of trade show or, or, or you know, buy a bar or a boat or something like right. many of them want to go on and start businesses. And I think that's really been gratifying over the years. Yeah. And a real good population to know, I would say. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when I went to Tunisia that I gave my wife, I was like, here are the phone numbers to call when, if you can't find me. So <laughs> never, never a bad call. Um, <laughs> so you briefly mentioned VSET's board. Um, it's a, I want to say an impressive group, but that doesn't even begin to do it justice. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your approach is with VSET's board? Cause I think every organization really does it differently. And, and, um, from a very biased opinion, I think you've sort of cracked the code. So can you, can you share a little bit about that? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, VSET's a nonprofit, right? And, um, I knew we had, uh, when I came on board, I knew we had a, a, a multi-year sort of transition ahead of us to go from all federal to earned income to relevancy with our customers to, um, you know, trying to make a difference here in Vermont, not just Burlington, where we were we were based originally. And and I think, you know, I wouldn't use the word impressive with the board. I, I think they're really authentic. Mm. Um, and they're they're caring to a, a T to to donate time they don't have to to our cause and our cause is messy, right? Entrepreneurship is messy. It's fluid. It's up and down. We don't know if it's worth anything today or or getting or nothing tomorrow. And I think through thick and thin, um, our board uh, has been outstanding. And what we did early on was it was very weighted toward higher education, which was sort of the model at the time. We slowly, slowly over two years, three years, transitioned that to, you know, half being sort of entrepreneurs or founders mm. of businesses. So yeah. so they would have empathy or right. greater empathy with our client. And also our clients would see them and say, oh, I want to be like Briar Alpert at Biotech, right? Or you know, one of the others, or Lisa Grenevel that on Logic, my God, that's my dream. And so I think that was a really interesting thing. And and back to those three circles around higher education, economic development, and entrepreneurship, those were sort of the three representations we wanted to see. And then over time, with that sort of three-year role, 
right? Um, some of those get more important over the other, or, you know, colleges have been under a lot of duress with their business models and COVID. So getting their leadership's attention sometimes is a little bit more difficult. So yeah. let's get some more entrepreneurs or go find, find uh, younger folks with different experiences, more diverse folks. And, and I think that to me has been awesome. We, we do have an amazing group and then we have 130 mentors. So that if we need to find a rocket scientist, we can go find one or, uh, an investor that's used to life sciences investments to, to help us not make uh, obviously stupid mistakes, right? <laughs> you know, if we can avoid the, the really dumb ones, I think our chances are better. And I, I'm so proud, and, and I think for you and I to both be able to, to learn from many of them uh, over time and to have them help our companies in, in very small and profound ways, both visible and, and behind the scenes, is that's the secret sauce. Hell yeah, it, it really is. Um, we're so lucky. Um, what emerging technology are you hyped about right now? Um, I think uh, um, certainly anything to do with with battery storage and, and renewables. I think is really really um, time, and it's you know no profoundness there, but uh, we're going to figure it out. Okay, and and it's going to happen at scale, and we've got some fantastic companies here in Vermont, including our portfolio company Northern Reliability that that recently announced its uh, merger with Core Power. Um, substances I'm really interested in. Mm. Uh, graphene, right, is one. This, like, you know, magical, I don't know what is it, a material or an atom, whatever, but it, it does really wonderful things uh, with electricity, with its size, density, and these properties that, that sort of unlock all sorts of potential, f- both within batteries, both within semiconductors. So these sort of foundational blocks of Running shoes, of life. I believe. Running shoes, yeah. I, who the heck knows? Um, I think that one's really... Uh, really fascinating to me. And then, um, you know, there's been some, some other ones, mRNA and, and all of its different sort of versions. Uh, it's really, uh, well, Elon Musk called it, you know, sort of the other days, it's a computer code, right? We just got to tell it what to do. And I think we're in the early innings of that. COVID accelerated the mass adoption of that platform. Um, you and I both know and are thrilled with Vermont's first mRNA facility and producer, Vernal Biosciences. We're the only Vermont investor there. It's a fantastic company scaling quickly. So, you know, things like that I think are good good brain food for us. But, you know, big picture, um, how do we help people, <laughs> health care, climate? You know, we got to be able to feed and uh, – protect ourselves uh, forward. I think that'll be the, the challenge of our, our lifetime given population on a small marble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll hopefully get the graphene experts in Vermont coming out of the woodwork I, I'm here. looking for one. Like, <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like I need that T-shirt, like, you know, gut graphene. Right? Yeah, there you go. Walk around City Market. and <laughs> I, I, I shudder to think what I would hear on Church Street from that, right? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Who knows? Um so one of the, you know, we talked a little bit about the seed fund. Um, we touched on advising a little bit. Um, I think one of the things that you said's best known for, you know, because of the visibility is our co-working. Um, so can you tell me what you think is special about the VSET community? Like you live in Stowe, you choose to be here every day. Um, why? Um, it's the the absolute just magic that, people bring, um, whether they're 
you know, building browsers for the biggest companies on the planet, right? Or conducting uh, election campaign, you know, messaging and software or uh, writing poetry or making music like and software. So it, it's this little Noah's Ark of a couple of these, a couple of those. And, and I think all along this sort of bet with a co-working space, um, we always wanted to keep it small, under 150 people, uh, I don't think we've ever had 150 people at any one time, which is great. It's usually, you know, I'd say 80 is probably optimal, but small communities behave differently, mm. right? They're, they're co-workers in a shared space rather than strangers in a big space. And I think for me, that has meaning and purpose and I think a collective sort of support that, you know, a good portion of folks thrive on, you know weave in some academics and researchers and students and serial entrepreneurs and investors and you've got you've got this again this creative petri dish of of awesome and potential so the fact we get to come to work and sort of you know make coffee for them and participate and help is again it's intellectually challenging it's motivating and i think gives a lot of purpose and hope for for our future yeah Wow. Yeah. So well said. And I don't know. Why do you come to work? I, I mean, know, I just, I like the vibe. Good vibe, right? <laughs> Good vibe. Yeah. Great. I mean, I mean, I think entrepreneurs and founders are, and even remote workers now, like it's, it's a different person. Yeah. Like it's, it, it, it's not someone who, you know, just quietly just wants a nine to five and just punch the clock and do their thing. And thank God there's people that do that because they have other interests and things they like, but um, these others that again they they see something that either inspires them or pisses them off to some degree that they want to do something about it, and I think that that's where change happens. Totally, totally. I mean, I was sitting here setting up our podcasting equipment, and a member poked their head in and said, "Hey, I, I did radio for nine years. If you ever need any support, I'm like, oh my, my god. god, am I that bad on this show? You're, are you interviewing other people? Jesus, Sam. <laughs> no, he just poked his head in to to, to god, offer that support. Cancel that person's badge. <laughs> Oh man, um, Dave, is now a good time to be an entrepreneur in Vermont? Uh, it's never been better. I mean, I, I think you know between people and money and support and different groups and Center for Women and Enterprise, the SBDC, certainly the four hundred of folks we talk to a year, like you can get really um, credible, free or near free um, advice, um, and then. For those that need capital, there's banks, there's grants, and then there's a, a now an array of sort of venture investors. So it's a great time. That doesn't mean bringing a, a an ill baked or ill thought out idea is going to be any more successful because there's probably some more noise, right? Yeah. You're competing against others. Um, but yeah, there are more companies are started, and I think the metric I look at is less about sort of capital in. You know, it's almost like it's a little bit of a vanity kind of metric is how much went into the system. Well, actually, we want to talk about outputs. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, what customer was happy with a product? What revenues have a company earned? Are the employees taken care of? Is there ownership or, you know, career paths, um, given all the risks they take early on? And I think, you know, all those things are trending upward. Yeah. And, and because of COVID, remote working, and sort of, uh, the fluidity of capital where it goes now. You don't have to be inside 128 in Boston or in Sand Hill Road. So those two things bode very well for a rural, well-educated, I think, uh, 
you know, and also sort of a, a little bit of an elitist place like Vermont where we think we can do it better. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, and, you know, sometimes we're so early that, that it takes a while for the rest of the world to say, oh, organic or farmer's markets or CBD or, or, you know, SaaS products, things like that, that happen. So it's, it's really a neat time to, to go for it. So reach out if you're trying to start a business. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and that's a good question, actually. Um, for folks that are looking for help or thinking about starting a business, do they need to have anything sort of prepared in order to reach out and get support from VSET? Yeah, that, you know, we've, we've talked to, we've talked a lot about that. Sorry, that's my, my monitor telling me to uh, be quiet. I think, um, you know, Frame the frame the discussion, right? Um, if you're asking for money, ask for advice, right? Mm. <laughs> I think that's the way to, to go about it. And then our approach here was to sort of take out the snobbiness and the elitism and kind of the walls about having a having a an authentic expert conversation. So, I mean, we we worked on those words on our website. They're like, come as you are, who you are, with what you got. We don't want to be pitched. Let's get to know you again. Back to that, we bet on people. Yep. Right. And you and I meet with people that were like, what a shitty idea this is. But boy, <laughs> they're going to hit it out of the park on something. So let's let's work with them on the next thing. Yeah. Right. And so I think I'm pretty proud of, of that. It doesn't mean capital isn't really tough to get. This yep. is the top of the food chain. Less than 10 percent of businesses start with, you know, quote, venture money. It's usually your customer's money or, you know, you take out a loan on your house or sell off an acre of land if you've got one or. Uh, use your eBay or crypto proceeds to to fund something, but um, yeah, I like I, I hope I hope we're accessible um, and I hope we're candid in giving feedback that you know comes from a genuine trusted place that we put the time in to listen. We we have a perspective that may be wrong. I mean, we just said no last week to you know people we've known for a lot of years that we really really respect. It just couldn't get comfortable, and and I and I think they wrote back like. Okay, thanks, but I can't wait to prove you wrong. Yeah. Make you regret this. And I wrote back, I'm like, nothing would make us happier because we don't learn unless we're wrong. Yeah. Right? Or we we get the challenge patterns that we see or don't see. And and again, it I hope I hope we're embarrassed by by our decision not to invest in them someday. Awesome. That's great. Um, all right. What what's next for VSET? What are you excited about? Um you know, I'm excited about the conversations that you and I are having and the board's having about what to do. You know, we're, we've worked really hard to be in a, a place where um, our companies are doing well, our services are, are known and respected. We play well with others, um, at least the good actors. Um, and, you know, I think the as we look around the corner here, um, I think we're going to see more and more need for uh, access to early revenues um, and still seed capital. You know the two million and under kind of rounds. You know we did we did eight of those rounds in the last twelve months, right? And I think probably the most active investor um, in that regard. And it's a lot of work, right? And a lot of unknown. But a lot of those half of those companies have already raised larger, bigger rounds to sort of get to the next stage. Others will germinate a little while longer. So. You know, I think between between that, you know, helping companies find uh, customers, 
right? Because mm-hmm. you'd rather have a dollar of a customer's revenue than a dollar of some investor's money. Totally. I think any day. Um, access to people is a big deal. And, you know, I think from a policy perspective, I think, you know, we probably have an opportunity to sort of help shape, you know, how we think about a modern company, yeah. right? A modern workforce, because, you know, classic policy and government and economic development is, is here or there. Build it here or there, right? And But the conjunctions and, and it has been for a few years. It's only been amplified and accelerated um, with remote working, distributed workforces, and, and Vermont's critical lack of labor, which leads to lack of housing, lack of child care, you know, all those sorts of things that compound it. So, you know, yeah, I hope we address and try to fix those. But in the meantime, we can't wait a generation. So we need to think like, what's good enough to get a company here, right? We don't need all of it to be proud. We don't need all of it for those employees to be successful and to, you know, support their communities and make a living. So I think that's the that's the challenge of our sort of economic development uh, roadmap from, from what I see. We still got some work to do, Dave. Oh, dear Lord, yes. <laughs> um, before we move on to the magic wand question, which I know you've been waiting six years to answer. I, I may not have one. I'm going to go blank on that. I really, really thank you for the warning. It is a warning. Is there anything else I should have asked you that I didn't? Um. Yeah, probably like uh, someone asked me the other day, like, why are you still doing this? Yeah. Right? Why are you still doing this? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> I'm afraid to say goodbye to you, Sam. I know. Um, I'm pretty great. Um, I want to win. Right? And and I, I frame winning as the success of these people that risk it all. Right? And and that, I think, to me is is the juice um, to, to keep going. And we're work so bloody hard with so many other people to finally get to a point where it's 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 starting to feel like it's humming and working right and not just in in burlington but elsewhere all right all of our colleges now have entrepreneur and innovation things couldn't say that six years ago like so you get you know hopefully to this sort of flywheel stage where just the gains aren't incremental right right they're 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 incremental squared right and i think and that builds and i and i feel like that's a very exciting uh time to to be there for it um you know we're going to see a lot more venture capital permanent evergreen capital come into mm-hmm. to vsat for managing which is really exciting mm-hmm. i think we've stretched our six million dollar fund as <laughs> as far as anybody ever thought you know but yeah. you know we've got 32 investments in that fund it revolves it works it's proven so We'll be adding a lot more to that, and I think that will be generational and transformational because our perspective is a little bit different than than maybe a pure private investor's perspective. Our time horizon is different. Our sort of support structure and our our view of what quote is venture worthy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is such a snotty tune uh, word to use, but I think um, you know we want to we want to focus on are these people. Uh, presenting an opportunity that that we can rally around that has better than average chance of success here in Vermont, like that to me is winning. So that that's pretty pretty interesting. And then I've got two kids who are teenagers, um, my wife and I, and yeah. I like to think that that all of our sons and you know Lachlan's a few years behind Sam, <laughs> but um, but I I do feel like that um, we want to make sure that 
the jobs of the future are here today. Yeah. Okay. And that there's diversity and choice. It's not either or, or that they're so plastered when they're in colleges or in their communities that they see that there are robots here in Vermont. There's all sorts of renewable energy or agriculture or life sciences, mRNA or data science stuff. And you know, that stuff was was not transparent, wasn't around, you know, eight, ten years ago. And it is here today. And again, I think that to me is that's worth sticking around for and uh, maybe delaying my landscape business a bit longer. <laughs> All right. I love it. I, yeah, I think that's that's super important to keep keep the opportunities rolling. Awesome, Dave. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm so sorry my co-host was unavailable, um, but it's it's always great to catch up, and hopefully our listeners learned a little bit more about Dave today. Thank you, Sam. What a what a treat here. I, I hope this actually makes it to the air. We'll but see. This has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. This series is supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. I'm going to get back to being me and get back to work. 